You are listening to Tani Talks Radio, the sheer, where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. Same time, same place, weekly, Emir Tzashem Bli Neder. The best way to listen is on the app, but you could hear us after the fact as well on the Tani Talks Radio podcast, which is available on all podcast forums, which is alongside our other shows. Tani Talks Pirkei Avos, the TTPA, Tani Talks OT, the TTOT, which are both about to go on hiatus for the summer anyway, here in the end of June 2023. You could also listen to Tani Talks Parsha, as well as... The Tani Talks staff, and all of them are going to have new logos. We have the new logo for the Tani Talks Radio as we began unofficially or officially season two. Tani Talks staff now also has a new logo, and we, God willing, will release the other three logos as the new seasons begin. Season seven for TTOT, which is going to be, God willing, the Emirates of Shemley and Edge of the OT Minute. And the TTPA, which is, God willing, going to be season 7 with a different parish, a different safer. We like to do a different one each season for the school year for both. And Parsha, Tani Talks Parsha, of course, we finish the cycle all the way in Simcha's Torah time. But right here on Tani Talks Radio, let's talk tonight's topic. Preoccupation. So often, so often in life, it is just too much going on at the same time. Do you believe in divided attention? Do you think that you can multitask? Do you think you have the ability to give more time to things, more than one thing at the same time? I do not think that it is actually possible, and I will prove it to you, God willing. Divided attention or multitasking does not exist. It is a myth and a legend and does not work, period, in my humble opinion. How many things are you doing at once right now? Pause. Stop. Think. How many things are you doing right now? What are you involved with right now? Are you listening and being involved and doing laundry and doing dishes and your mind is in a hundred places? What are you doing? I want you to focus on the sound of my voice and only the sound of my voice. How is that? Are you focused? Are you paying better attention? Why is that? What were you doing before? Chances are, if you are like me at all, in general, we are doing too many things at once. I bet you were scrolling through your phone looking at messages or WhatsApp, perusing the internet or interest or, pins or Pinterest or Instagram or Facebook, or spacing out, thinking of different responsibilities or things or doing something else. Would you have known if I told you the winning lottery numbers to yesterday's winnings 5, 12, 28, 42, 34, 56, 77 are not the right numbers, but I'm glad you're listening anyway. Or what if I told you the numbers that will win in a big raffle? 17629. Again, not real numbers. The idea of preoccupied or preoccupation as defined by the dictionary is when someone is absorbed in thought or engrossed, excessively concerned with something, distracted, the state of being otherwise focused, something that engrosses the mind or consumes the attention of the person. How true is this definition in so many aspects of our lives and throughout so much of our day and so much of our days at large? Do we really focus? Can we just stop? And be present in the moment. Don't dwell on the past or worry about the future. Just be present now. Be mindful of the moments we have right now and grab hold of them. Stay true to them. 
be involved with them. The idea of multitasking is defined by VeryWellMind.org as performing two or more tasks simultaneously, switching back and forth from one thing to another and performing a number of tasks in rapid succession. But this, as we will see, does not really work or happen effectively. Too often we are too preoccupied or otherwise distracted. If you're on your phone, you can't, by definition, be fully listening into those around you. If you're talking on the phone, you cannot be fully watching your kids. You can't be fully working on a paper if you're looking for new shoes. You can't have a movie night with friends or a spouse or family members if you're on your phone distracted. You cannot have a good date if you're texting Joe about that awesome bowling game from two days ago. You just can't focus. It just does not work. Period. In addition, what do we spend all of our time on these days? All too often it is preoccupation with meaningless or mindless things to the exclusion or estrangement of really important or crucial things. How many hours are spent on the smartphone, on the internet, on TV, or movies, to the exclusion, God forbid, of Torah, mitzvot, chesed, or real meaningful endeavors? I'm not talking about spending time with your wife, which is crucial, crucial, whether you watch a show together and you spend that time together, or you read books together, you play games together, you read next to each other, beautiful, wonderful. Not talking about that. I'm saying you spend hours upon hours that could otherwise have been much more productive. And yes, everyone needs to rest. Everyone needs to settle down. And I, too, am guilty at the end of the day when everybody's sleeping and all my chores are done. I, too, settle down and rest and procrastinate and do whatnot. But not the whole day. Not wasting my day. I not preoccupy myself with wasted, wasted hours upon hours upon hours. The dinner table. In secular society, and even within our own society, has crumbled with the advent of the cell phone, and more recently the internet, and the smartphone. Dates and anniversaries, parties and get-togethers and dinners of lunches have fallen apart with people more interested with their Facebook friends than their real-life friends, with their tweets more than their real-life hangouts and with their Instagram posts or Pinterest walls than the real-life walls around them or the real-life posts and signs in their life on the roads. People photograph their food before eating them. People text in front of real-life people trying to talk to them. And people turn away from real-life customers or friends to answer phone calls, texts, posts, tweets, and WhatsApp messages instead. What in the world has happened to us? Where did all the value of face-to-face interaction go? When did we lose our interaction skills and abilities? Because really, in life, who is more important? The cyber friend or the real friend? What is more valuable, real life or online life? I hope the answer is crystal clear and if it's not we need to prove it to you and we must fix this people are just too focused on their phones everywhere they go especially at the table listen to this study from ib psychology on thematic-education.com mobile phones are everywhere and they are consuming more and more of our time could this be having an effect on family life 
The researchers who conducted this study wanted to investigate how cell phones might influence the interactions of parents and children. The researchers used a non-participant covert observational method, which is a very fancy way of saying they're going to be watching different caregivers. They watched a total of 55 caregivers eating with one or more young children in fast food restaurants in Boston. Observers wrote detailed field notes continuously describing all aspects of mobile device use and child and caregiver behavior during the meal. The sample was gathered by visiting a range of different restaurants and studying the people who were present at the time. A single researcher would buy food and sit near a family, or if no family was present, they would sit at a table and wait until a family who met their inclusion criteria, one parent and at least one child, sat down to eat at the table near them. They would then take notes on what they observed. They took detailed notes on the parents' and child's behavior, especially how they interacted when the parent was using their phone. They even included in their report things like what types of activities the parents were doing on their phones, like reading emails or visiting websites. The field notes were qualitatively analyzed, which means they looked at the data itself, not the numbers of how much data. They looked at the actual details to identify common themes, and the results showed that caregivers were often completely absorbed in their mobile or mobile phone use. They found that phone use decreased the caregiver's responsiveness and their conversation with their children and highly absorbed caregivers often responded harshly to child misbehavior. Meaning, if Charlie knocked over the fries and ordinarily Adam the dad would have like a two-level reaction, if he's highly absorbed in his instagram reel or his facebook posts or whatnot instead he had like a seven reaction why because he was highly involved with his online fakeness of being involved in that internet behavior and instead lashed out more harshly at the child behavior or misbehavior they also found that kids who were ignored would make increasingly demanding gestures for attention so maybe at first charlie was playing with the soda just like sloshing it around seeing if it could spill and then he started getting frustrated because daddy's not listening to me daddy's not watching me then he starts dropping one fry he moves the fry a little over a little more and then eventually the fries fall it lands on adam's feet and adam gets really mad when really it would have been a two or three level reaction but really it becomes a seven-level reaction, which kind of reminds us of the idea of of the beautiful series by Rabbi Foreman that my wife and I try to watch, Blin Eder, on Tisha B'Av, where it's the Kamsa Bar Kamsa story, where we have the level of reaction versus the level of stimulus, the righteous rage versus what's going on, if a person has the fail-safe mechanisms or not. Lahavdil definitely warrants a visit at alephbeta.org. But Lahavdom, we see that these kids who are ignored would make increasingly demanding gestures for attention. One group of boys started singing Batman smells in increasingly loud voices to get their dad's attention. I believe this would for sure extend to family members, friends, spouses first and foremost, spouses first and foremost, dates and the like. It would be devastating to those around us to give up precious physical time instead of for online cyber fake time the spruce.com points out that even within within the home the problem comes at the dinner table all too often the article points out 
that the dinner table is not the place for your cell phone. If you are dining, whether it's at home, at a friend's home, or at a restaurant, you should definitely silence your cell phone. Every movie, every event, they says, please silence your cell phone. Answering and holding a conversation during dinner or at the dining table is considered rude behavior, which would definitely extend to a date. There's a story where a guy answers his messages on the date, and it's a Donald Trump's close story, but it still applies. And the whole date, the, the, the girl on the date is getting increasingly frustrated, agitated, upset, and really like mad because he's answering the phone answering the phone it happens to be at the end he finds out about a family member who's like really injured and he stayed on the date anyway but in general had it not been a family member had it not been an injury would that be extremely rude yes would that be extremely not nice yes so why do we say only on dates but of course it should apply for spouses for years and years and beyond and for kids and family members and the like it shouldn't only be considered rude behavior at a date but it should be considered in general in life and for life to come, many, many moons later, whether you're married 10 minutes, 10 years, 10, 100,000 years, we shall be zochah until 120 and beyond. But when it comes to answering those, it's not just limited to the table. I would extend it that it would say that answering texts or WhatsApps or posts, tweets or the like also is just simply rude and insensitive as well as the table during a conversation or hangout time with your friend or your spouse or whoever. Halavai should be a spouse for everyone. But the importance of together time should not be interrupted to have to answer the cyber calling. The first solution, which is not my solution, it's been pointed out many, many times before, is no phones at the dinner table, period. Or whatever meal, eating as a family, especially dinner. Make it into a fun game. One idea I saw was having a dinner box or wicker basket to drop the phones into at dinner time. You could put the box on your dining piece or if you have a, uh, a break front kind of a piece or a sideboard or a, bu- a hutch, whatever, a buffet, put it on top there and take it out when dinner is done. Even if it's a, a non-internet phone, if it's a phone or a device or an iPad or an iPod, let it all be in the wicker box. Simple. Easy. It reminds me of how I used to have to drop off my phone way back in the day before we had such things as smartphones. Even before the BlackBerry, I think it was a flip phone even, I had to drop off my phone in the front during finals in YU. Everyone, please drop phone now before final in college and taking it back after. It seemed harsh, but it was for our own benefit to ensure compliance of the rules. It's for a, a goal for a final, but really... Somehow we all manage those few hours without crumbling, without needing the phone. Oftentimes we might leave our phone or forget our phone. And people talk about this when they don't bring their phone. Although if there's a spouse or family member, they might be frantic, anxious, and nervous. But putting that aside, if that's not the case, if you leave your phone and everybody's okay and safe and happy, sometimes people talk about how they feel liberated. Some people say, I feel like bear. I feel like I'm missing a piece of my clothing without the phone. But some people say, I feel liberated without my phone. A person who feels bare or incomplete without their phone may actually be too attached to their phone, might be too addicted or connected to their phone to a severe level. Common Sense Media, a website that rates movies, TV shows, books, and more so parents can feel good about the entertainment choices they make for their kids, has a movement called device-free dinner. Again, this is not a Judaic source. This is not a Jewish source. This is an idea in secular society. And the device-free dinner even comes from that great show, The Havdil Sesame Street for Kids, where they explain that the idea is a movement for healthy habits the whole family should have and will love. 
From the Sesame Street, from Sesame Street family, excuse me, to yours, try a device-free dinner. Hashtag device-free dinner tonight. Why go device-free? Taking a break from devices is proven to have positive benefits for kids from better nutrition and focus at home to fewer problems at school. Commit to putting devices away for those 30 minutes, or if you have small children, the 6 minutes or 6 seconds of dinner. Turn your devices on silent. Better yet, put them somewhere where you can't even see them, where a notification won't tempt you to check it. Enjoy a device-free dinner today as part of a healthy digital lifestyle and make the most of family time, nutrition facts not included. You know, we ourselves already do this for thousands of years. Have you ever heard of anyone that crumbled under the pressure of Shabbos saying, I wish Shabbos would end 10, minute, 10 hours earlier, chas v'shalom, so I could check my Facebook status? Ludicrosity, if it's not a word. Insanity. We can go 25 hours without it, so why is it so hard to go 25 minutes without it? I don't know. 25 seconds without it. We have done this for thousands of years. We disconnect to reconnect. When it comes to things like that, when we see that in our life, we see how it could be in our life, we want it to be in a way where we connect, we disconnect to reconnect, where we're involved in this lifetime. I just want to apologize for some reason, the connection is not doing so well, I don't know why, but when it comes to that kind of a thing, when it comes to the ability to disconnect to reconnect is really a great solution it's really something that we should all do in our life we should make- we can have it in our life is something a good thing to do so disconnect to reconnect is a solution we've been doing for many many thousands of years from the shabbos 25 hour period to the idea of the dinner from the week we want it to be a device free dinner we want it to be a device free shabbos of course but in general we could do that all the time the second solution i believe the first solution is having the device free dinner and of course shabbos itself is teaching us for many thousands of years how to have a device free existence the second solution i believe is no phones at hangout time for spouses or friends families to friends period if you're back in the dating world, we talked about this a little bit before, how rude would it be to be texting or talking on the phone the whole time while your date waited? Is it any less rude to your spouse? Is it any less rude to your family, to your friends? Is it any? Is their time any less valuable than when you're in the dating world, for example? Chas v'shalom, how much more so, how many more days, weeks, months, years have you had together that they deserve your time even more than that? And not even the word deserve, but they need your time you need each other's time even more than that. What do we convey to our kids or others that they give up the time of those real-life people around them instead to be on the phone? What madness and ludicrosity, insanity. I will say it is very hard for me itself with all my side endeavors and side projects and my side job and the main job. Yes, there are lots of notifications. Yes, every time I get one, I want to check it. Throughout the day, we feel the pull at work, at breaks and whatnot. But when the kids are up and I have all the things, I try a little better, a little better each day, a little better to try not to and try to push it off once they're in bed. Then I could check all the messages at 7 or 8 or whatnot. And then when we're hanging out, trying not to. And I could always check much later. It's not the end of the world if that WhatsApp message or that text message or that email takes two more, three more hours to answer. Could be that the boss wants something, but I'm sorry, 4 to 5 o'clock is my dinner prep time. I'm sorry, 5 to 6 o'clock is eating time. I'm sorry, 6 to 7 o'clock is oftentimes bath time or laundry time. When I get to it, I get to it. If it's not life 
earth-shattering, and it should only be good things, it's not going to be such a big deal to leave that message for a little while. Because the kids will learn, the spouse will see, and everyone around you will understand what comes first, what's most important. If we put our spouses first, and then kids, which is the right order, everyone thinks it's the opposite, that kids first, spouse second, never. Spouse first, kids second, everyone else after that. You'll see how things work if you do it the right way. That'll be really good for the world at large, and of course, for your life in specific. H.com points out with author Slovi John Rice Wolf, the daughter of the famous rabbits and young Rice of Shalom, most parents agree that our children are excessively plugged into their devices. They even had a study in our in our town about the idea of smartphone, when it should be introduced, if it should be introduced, how long can we hold off? And I look at my wife and I'm like, uh, can we hold off till uh, 14, 15, 18, 25? You know, <laughs> how long can we wait? Would be great. I myself had a brick phone, one of those old, you know, Nokia and those flip phones that can never break. I used to throw it at the wall for fun. Didn't break any walls, don't worry. The phone did not break. Nowadays, you have these glass screens. They, they like drop for like a half a centimeter and the whole thing breaks. Obviously, they're not built as they used to. But in general... Kids are too plugged into their devices, whatever the device is. If you could hold off on the smartphones, I think the longer you can hold off, the better. There's just too many examples. My wife is a middle school teacher. She could tell you there are so many examples of unfortunate people being so mean, especially at 11, 12, 13, 14, just being so mean online in cyberspace. If you just have the brick phone and it only has texting, messaging, and it only has calling, maybe WhatsApp, I guess they allow too. If it only has messaging and calling, then you could connect if your parents need to know where you are or you're, you want to call your friend, okay. But allowing that internet too early, allowing all those things, besides for the fact that it's such distractors and such hullabaloo, it's just too much too soon. So most parents agree that children are too plugged into their devices. A 2010 study cited that the average, listen to this, the average 8 to 10 year old spends nearly 8 hours a day with a variety of media. 8 hours a day. Can you imagine? And older children and teenagers spend more than 11 hours per day. 11 hours per day. A lot of kids love video games. We actually try not to do that. A lot of kids love computer games. We try not to do that. I'm very into, we're very into the kids reading. Reading is awesome. Very into them writing. Writing is great. Coloring is great. Board games are even better. It's like almost a thing of the past for many families, unfortunately. But when we could limit all those things, how great would it be? The kids could be more focused, more interactive, and less needy on devices, less needy on the technology. But an average 8 to 10-year-old to spend 8 hours a day and an older kid to spend 11 hours per day, there's only 24 hours in the day. That's almost half the day. Texting may become the next behavioral obsession that parents must contend with, which I think it might also already be. Half of teenagers sent 50 or more texts a day. I'm involved in like 100 projects, man. I don't even send 50 texts a day. That's craziness. Obviously, I'll check in with my wife throughout the day, and that itself could be different messages, but that's with the spouse. But in general, who are they texting so much? You're sending 50 more emojis, like a smiley face icon to random friend? Like, what are you saying in so many messages? 50 or more a day. 13 to 17-year-olds average 3,000. 364 texts a month. I'm not going to do the math to figure out how much that is a day, but that's a lot. That's alarming statistics that are only going to increase. 
When adults desire uninterrupted screen time or wish their kids to keep quiet and not bother one another, we use technology as a convention, as a convenient babysitter, but we don't stop to think about the potential harm that we are causing. Conversation ceases. Carpools, dining on, and relaxed leisure time are spent in silence. Families stop sharing thoughts, interactions, and laughter. Dr. Steiner Adair, in her best-selling book, The Big Disconnect, Protecting Childhood and Family Relationships in the Digital Age, recommends the following steps. Parents should think twice before using a mobile device when they're with their children. Check emails and texts before interacting with the kids in the morning. Even though the kids get up earlier than me, I do not get up so late unless the uh, alarm didn't go off like the other day. But if I'm up at 6 and the kids are up at 5.30, but I don't pop my head into their room until 6.15, then those 15 minutes you could check any urgent message or email before they see me. That's first second in the morning. You could check it during school hours when you have different breaks throughout the day. Everyone has breaks, whether it's a lunch break or this break. In between students for me, I go to pick up a student or whatnot. I could quickly check the message, the screen to make sure nothing, God forbid, is happening or nothing messages. After the kids' bedtime, we just mentioned this. If they go to bed at 6.30 or 7.00, You could always check it then. When parents come home from work, they should walk through the door unplugged. I read an article about when you pick up a child, what is the effect that your kids see when you're on the phone, when the first person they see, family member, when they walk through the door, it's like, Abba's not even looking at me. So I remember that article from moons ago, and I try very hard, you know, to... You know, dismiss them through the app, which I don't show them because the app's too much. But like, if I show them my face, hey guys, hey buddies, how was your day? It's it shows something because a lot of parents I actually see, I observe that they are on the phone, they are texting, and daddy, I want you to tell me, I want to tell you about my day, mommy, I want to tell you about my day, not now, Charlie. Charlie's taking a beating. It's not a real person. Charlie, not right now. I have to finish this big phone call. But daddy, I didn't see you for eight hours. Not now. It's not a good message to give to the kid. It's not a helpful, happy, interactive, loving message to give to the kid. They want to talk to you. They haven't seen you in eight hours. They haven't seen you, even if you're in secular public school, they haven't seen you in six hours and 23 minutes and 42 seconds, You know, depending on which school you go to or whatnot. But walk unplugged. The first hour home would be great to reconnect with the family. Children have said that they despise the phrase, just checking, as parents look at their devices. Establish another idea from Slovy Wolf. Cell-free zones. Establish cell-free zones for both parents and kids. Critical moments, like pickup from school, are crucial transformation time for children to talk about their day. This is what we just mentioned. Parents should not be saying, like, just a minute, I need to finish this call. Homework should be done without phones at hand. Dinner time both at home and in a restaurant, which even secular society has realized, is another device-free zone. We nourish not only bodies but souls, too, when we join together at a table. Young children should not have their own cell phones or iPads in their rooms. As children get older, be wary of devices and where they are used. The teenage years, I will admit, here in 2023, our kids are still young, but one day, God willing, they will get older. The teenage years are terrifying to me. I've said this to my wife many times. The teenage years, I don't know. Maybe we could uh, figure out a solution, but teenage years really scare me, especially, you know, preteen and teen years. Teenagers require limits and it's not too late to set them. Don't be afraid of taking charge and enforcing appropriate rules. Caretakers should also be be made aware of the dangers of not paying full attention to the children in their charge. There has been a recent 20% increase 
in accidental injuries seen in pediatric emergency rooms attributed to caretakers texting or talking on their phones, not properly watching children while they were in the bath, or on the jungle gym. We just heard of a friend's kid the other month that was literally on a jungle gym and literally fell and broke their arm. Very, very crazy. These playgrounds and jungle gyms are awesome. I'm a huge fan of playgrounds, but it has to be with the adults there and present. Heartache comes when we realize that we have wasted years looking down and missing out on connecting with those we love who sit in front of us waiting to look into our eyes. Our children need to feel that we value our time together. They deserve our full attention. We will never regret time spent together. I often talk about the, the CEO from Walmart who had billions in the bank. Not even something that I could even fathom when uh, a lot of us have five cents in the bank or negative five cents. Can you imagine billions in the bank? So he's sitting there, lying there in his last few moments of life. And what are the last three words he says? And we've said this many times. The last three words he said, but he was a billionaire. He's a self-made man. He made one of the biggest companies in America, maybe the world. He has thousands and thousands of employees and items and successes. But he looks at his three kids or whatever. He looks at his wife and he says, I blew it because at the end of the day it doesn't matter how much money you get it doesn't matter how big your house is it doesn't matter how many cars you have it doesn't matter how much money is in the bank it doesn't come with you what's the point of saving and saving saving if it's all gone the second you're gone anyway not to be morbid after 120 years which will be zohar nothing comes with us nothing comes with us just our good name which we should be zohar to have our good deeds our mitzvahs our torah our chesed that's what comes with us no one ever regrets spending more time with spouses and kids unless you have a very dysfunctional relationship and please seek a rabbi, therapist, and the combination, and maybe Shalom Task Force. But when we're talking about a good relationship, a good value, your kids as spouses, no one ever regrets spending more time together. No one ever said, you know, I wish I spent 15 more hours at the law firm. I wish I spent more years in the law firm. No one ever says that. And I got a lot of flack. You can make so much more money, Tani, if you work in this, in healthcare, you could do private care, you could be in people's homes. What's the point? So I should make more money, so I should be less involved, I should be a less attentive dad, I should be a less involved husband, God forbid, I should be a less caring dad and husband, so I can make more money, I can be out of the house more. Are you nuts? Are you bananas? That's not what life is about. Okay, so our house is gonna be more cozy than others. I'm not gonna have two or three cars. I'll have to take public transportation with uh, very interesting people, but it's okay because at the end of the day, I get to be home at 4, 4, 15. I get to be making dinner and the kids are around and I'm able to be fully involved and fully present in the moment. We talked about this the other week too. I will not regret, hopefully, having a job that lets me be home earlier just because it makes less than other people, but I'm able to be more present, which is such a gift such a beautiful thing. Yes, I could have worked in healthcare. Yes, I could have worked in the hospital, or I could have been seeing people in the in the homes. But everything has its pluses and minuses, and I believe our decision is much, much more pluses than minuses. I talk often with different people. Not a religious person, but he is a PT, and he sees people in the district, and he says, "I applaud the fact that you and your wife are more present at home." And you're able to be more present in their lives. It's not about the money. It's about the balance. And it's about how you're present in their lives. And that's a wonderful thing you can never put a value on. You can never put a dollar sign on. Yes, I'm willing to take on other jobs. But only if it's remote. 
only if it's after hours. I used to see students nighttime after the kids were asleep for some extra cash. I do have a second job, but it is a remote job and is not time dependent unless depending on the different things, but not a time-dependent thing. I have to be in an office at a certain time. There are certain friends who have crazy hours. They don't come home till 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and that's not even tax season. During the rest of the year, they're literally not home. One of our friend's wife said to us, I don't see my husband the whole week. <laughs> and I think to my wife, and I look at my wife, I'm like, that's really terrible. You know, that's so sad. Don't see him all week, and you try to laugh it off, but that's really, what kind of a life is that? That's so sad. We only sit with each other on Shabbos. Is that what Hashem wants from us? You're supposed to be connected, clinging to one another, spending time with one another. What in the world happens when we place too much time on the job, too much time at the job. There has to be a better solution. If we could figure it out in OT land, I feel like we could figure it out in other professions too. Children will never be something that you look back and say, oh my gosh, I spent too much time with them. Never. It's always a win to spend more time with them. There are proven ways we can minimize distractions, minimize clatter and chatter of the device and technical or digital world on us and on our kids us versus our families and friends around us. We just have to realize what we are preoccupied with. What are we distracted with? What are we trying to strive for? What are you really trying to do in this life? Is it really about making 100, 200, 300 grand? You know, in New York, it doesn't even matter how much you make. A friend told us that he has a, a client who makes 350 and he still doesn't make it. So what's the difference if you make 80, 90, 100, 2? You're never going to make it anyway. So you're going to kill yourself being at the office for 15 hours a day? For what? It's not going to help. Hashem decides. You do your hashtag. Hashem sees you're a fully present spouse, a fully present parent. I'm sure Hashem will be very happy. And I'm sure your spouse will be happy. My friend is gone every week. Every week or two, he goes and he travels abroad for business. He is gone two or three days a week. You know, it is crazy, and my wife has to deal with it, and yeah, but you know what? I'm making good money, and it's uh, it's really helping them. I want to question the spouse, and I would love to ask, would you rather him home and make less, or him away and make more? And I'm almost 100% positive she would say, I'd rather him home and make less doesn't matter how much you make. If you're present and you're involved, all the money in the world doesn't even matter because that's what's really important. We have to understand what we're preoccupied with, what we're spending time with. Why are we doing these things? Hashem already knew this thousands of years ago, mandating 24 hours without phones, without cyber fakeness, without computers, without distraction, just good old time with the fam. Singing, eating, hanging out, relaxing, reading, playing, disconnect to reconnect, unplug, to recharge. You could take those hashtags and use them across social media, not when you're with your spouse and kids. The best model for how to get real connection is really to look to Shabbos. No phones at the table, no phones taking over time with their families, no electronic distractions, period. If we could do it for a day every week, we could do it for an hour a day at dinner, a few hours for hangout time for others as well. And we should do it for ourselves every day. Disconnect. Put the phone away. Focus on one thing at a time. Multitasking doesn't work. Even if you think you could accomplish four things at once, you can't. I look at the day and I'm like, you know, 
Got to record this show, that show, that show. I got to send a couple of things from my WhatsApp group. Got to make sure to see my eight students that day. I also want to make sure that I do the notes for the day. I also want to make sure that I'm working on my side book project. How am I going to do that? I can't do five things at once. It's not possible. I have to do one thing at a time. Okay, first, I'm going to send out that message. Later during a break, I'm going to record that. Then when I have time at the end of the day, I'm going to work on the next piece of the book. One thing at a time, preoccupation, when things overtake the mind, you have to just categorize it and do one thing at a time. Even secular society knows this and understands this. Psychology Today points out, psychologytoday.com, you think you can multitask? Think again. Research in neuroscience tells us that the brain doesn't really do tasks simultaneously, as we thought or hoped it might. In fact, we just switch tasks quickly, and we don't do it well. Each time we move from hearing music to writing a text or talking to someone, there is a stop-start process in the brain that goes on. The start-stop-start process is rough on us. Rather than saving time, it costs time, even very small microseconds. It's less efficient. We make more mistakes, and over time, it can sap our energy. Try this. I want you to follow along for this for a second. If you can, take out a small piece of paper and see if you could follow along to this small test. This is from a workshop about mindfulness delivered by the Potential Project, a group based out of Denmark. Everyone try this as you listen in. Please grab a paper and a pencil. Draw two horizontal lines on a piece of paper. Now have someone time you if possible or pause me and listen back. Otherwise, try to time yourself on a watch or a timer as you carry out the two tasks that follow. On the first line, write, I am a great multitasker, which in and of itself is a lie, but we're going to write it anyway. I am a great multitasker. On the second line, write out the numbers 1 to 20 sequentially. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, 20. How much time... Did it take to do the two tasks? Usually, it's about 20 seconds. Now, let's multitask and see if really it's possible even on such a basic, simple lesson. Draw two more horizontal lines. This time, and again, try to time it with someone else timing you or you're timing yourself. Write a letter on one line and then a number on the line below. Then the next letter in the sentence on the upper line and the next number in the sequence, changing from line to line. In other words, you write out the sentence on one line and the number sequence on the line underneath, switching letter, then number, underneath, back and forth. So the letter 1 is on one line, and then the letter 1 underneath, and then the letter A, and then the number 2, and then the letter M. So you're going through the things, number 3 in the two lines to each one until you get through it. So it's 1 a, then one, two. If you did the task, and I applaud you for trying to do so, I'd say your time is double or more than it was the first run. You also may have made some errors, and you were probably frustrated since you had to rethink what the next letter would be, and the next number. That's switching tasks on something very simple, but that's exactly what happens when we attempt to do things, many things, often more complex things at the same time. So next time you think you're multitasking, stop and be aware that you're not multitasking, you're switch tasking. Not multitasking, but switch tasking. Then give yourself a time limit, 10 minutes, 45 minutes, and focus on just one task and see if you can complete it better faster and with less energy i actually have tried this myself many times again when i'm approaching the day i'm trying to tackle the day and i have let's say 20 tasks to do if i try to do one two or three at the same time they all will be like 
very ungeblas and not very good, they'll be like, you know, 30% good. But if I do A, then B, then C, then it will be much better, much more efficient and much more correct. The idea that multitasking exists is really a fallacy, a lie, and a myth. There's no such thing. There's only switch tasking, and that's not something anyone is good at, as we can really only focus on one thing at a time. So do one thing and do it right. Do one thing and do it well, and then switch to the next thing. Look at this quote from ResearchGate.net, which explains about selective attention and divided attention. It seems to be impossible to maintain the brain activity on the same high level if two modalities are in the focus of interest simultaneously. They like to make things very fluffed up in psychology and whatnot. I've seen this in undergrad. Meaning, simplifying it, you really can't focus fully on two things at the same time. Even two PhDs who were involved in a paper proved in their paper that you may barely notice from the Dana Foundation that you are frequently multitasking. You may be driving to work while listening to a radio program or talking to a loved one on the phone, putting yourself and others at risk, God forbid, or perusing Facebook while texting a friend or switching back and forth between a high-level project like making a report and a routine chore like making an appointment. Multitasking means trying to perform two or more tasks concurrently, which typically leads to repeatedly switching between tasks. Again, Task switching, not multitasking, or leaving one task unfinished in order to do another. The scientific study of multitasking over the past few decades have revealed important principles about the operations and processing limitations of our minds and brains. One critical finding to emerge is that we inflate our perceived ability to multitask. I'm such a good multitasker. I can do it. There is little correlation with our actual ability. In fact... Multitasking is almost always a misnomer, a lie, a myth, as the human mind and brain lack the architecture to perform two or more tasks simultaneously. When we attempt to multitask, the two PhD authors explain, we are usually switching between one task and another. The human brain is not evolved to do two things at the same time. It can only focus on one task at a time. One task at a time. One thing at a time. Keep your mind and your focus on one thing. Don't be preoccupied with 10 things. Don't try to occupy yourself with 10 things. One thing at a time. Very well mind itself also points out the brain is not as good as people think. We can't do it. If we try to multitask, it reduces productivity by as much as 40%. When you switch between tasks, it makes it difficult to tune out distractions. That's why for me, and my wife disagrees, she needs to listen to something to study. I myself had to lock myself in a room for college, for grad school, to study for a test, to study for the boards. I literally could not have a pin drop. I needed complete and utter silence because if I want to single task, I want to unitask or whatever the word is, only focus on one task and that's studying for that test. I cannot have any single distraction. That's why I guess in the Wayu Library, people were really mad when there was a single sound made. We had to talk in hush tones. Even a regular librarian in a regular library gets very mad when there's any noise because you want to read, you want to focus, you can't have any distractions. Multitaskers have trouble tuning out distractions for people who f- than people who focus on one task at a time. One task at a time. One thing at a time. Don't juggle two tasks. Use the 20-minute rule. 
a study from Joshua Rubenstein, Jeffrey Evans, and David Meyer point out that you lose time when you switch tasks. I'm not even going to use the word multitask. When you switch tasks, you don't use your time. Instead, use the 20-minute rule. Instead of constantly switching between tasks, try to fully devote your attention to one task for 20 minutes before switching to the other. It reminds me of the 20-20-20 rule when it came to studying. We learned this in OT school. After 20 minutes of studying, look 20 feet away for at least 20 seconds before you go. And I would also say every 40 to 60 minutes, you should actually get up and move around for 10 minutes. But at least to let your eyes settle and focus and not be so strained, every 20 minutes, look 20 feet away, which is a far point task, looking, you know, putting your eyes at a far distance for 20 seconds. Because we need to make sure that we can focus. And focusing is hard nowadays. You know, even podcasts, which are my huge side passion i tell all people that i try to sign up you know you can't have an episode every day 45 minutes an hour i have an episode once a week that's usually 45 minutes to an hour once a week but all the other shows all the other shiram are five to ten minutes and i actually am cutting it down tiny talk stuff is becoming around one minute now the ttot god willing next season we're calling it the ot mindful minute sneak peek sneak peek Trying to keep it in a minute because literally the ADHD, the ability, the inability for people to focus is mind-blowing. Even five to ten minutes, people just can't listen. So just like the idea of meaningful minute where it's in the minute because they know people need to hear that message within a minute. Lahabdil, lahabdil, take that minute and use it. It can change your mind. When you're involved in these things, you have to make sure how to focus. Focus on what you can do. In that time, when you're involved, even the Gemara, Lahavda, Lahavda, the Gemara talks about in Gemara Sukkah 26a, how you can't multitask. If someone, Ha'osek b'mitzvah, Patrimena mitzvah, thousands of years ago, the sages realized from the divine inspiration, you can't focus on two things at a time. Why do you think it is if someone needs a burial and someone is heavily involved in another mitzvah, we have to find someone else? Although they say that a uh, May Smith, so that there's no one to bury them. Everyone's in coming on, so it's not a good example. But let's say someone needs uh, help schlepping something and someone's heavily involved in a mitzvah. Ha'osik b'mitzvah patrimina mitzvah. One who is involved in a mitzvah is exempt from a mitzvah. And Lahavda, we should have known from such things, a mourner, an onin, who didn't bury his dead yet, cannot be involved in mitzvahs. They're overwhelmed. They're consumed with dealing with the dead and burying the bed, dead to make sure that they're burying the person involved with the mitzvah of kavura. You cannot do more than one thing at a time. Lahavdil, a groom, is exempt from all mitzvahs. As he's busy getting married with his wife on the first day or so, he is focused on the wife being misameach, the kala, the first day. No other mitzvah is he the Gemara obviously and the Shulchanar goes and explains the ramifications of how it extends. But really, you could only focus on one thing at a time. Always look to Judaism and the Torah. That is the answer. When you look and you see, you can only be involved in one thing. Be involved in one aspect, in one thing. Understand, we can only focus on one thing at a time. We can only really put our attention in one thing at a time. We need to make sure to realize we can only keep 
our aspect in our way. And what we can do is that we need to not distract ourselves, give ourselves and our attention to our spouses, to our kids. Fill your mind with doing Hashem's will. Be preoccupied with doing good things. Torah, mitzvahs, and chesed. Don't forget about others. Don't be selfishly preoccupied for hours. There's always time at the end of the day when everybody's sleeping where you could catch up on your messages and whatnot on your own ways of resting and relaxing, but not to neglect the spouse or the kids because you need to see the next episode of that cooking show on kosher.com. Do it later when everybody's sleeping. Make sure to be preoccupied by good things and proper things and make sure to have one single mindset, one single focus of Torah, Chesed, and Mitzvot on the spiritual and what truly matters. Hashem gives us innovations and inventions of technology to help us and guide us, but not to make us use it for the wrong things. A smartphone is great to listen to Jewish podcasts, for example. A smartphone is great to read Torah articles from Chabad.org, but not to the detriment of wasting time. Not wasting time, it's wonderful, but not to the detriment of taking time away from when your spouse needs you, when your kids need you. Banish the distractions while you're studying, while you're praying, while you're with your spouse and your kids. Make sure not to be preoccupied with other things. Put it aside. Even if you have a workload of papers, the song teaches us, you know, it's time for Shabbos. All your work is done, even if there's so much piled up on your desk. Disconnect to reconnect. Understand to connect to Hashem, to connect to your spouse. No one will ever hold you at fault. It won't be held against you. And I, but it's a really, really more so. It's really a good thing to understand that we're too distracted. But if we give our time and our attention, if we cut back on the work, we cut back on the distractions and give our time to those who are really most important, because you're not going to take it after 120 years anyway. Understand multitasking is a myth. Preoccupation with too many things is not good. Focus on one thing at a time. That's really the way to buy back your time. People think, I don't have enough time in this life, but if you would take the time you spend a Narishkite and you devote that to wonderful things, you would have more time. There are people that make 24 hours into 48 hours. Zatzal, the great Rabbi Kalmer, was like that. There are other Rabbim and other great figures, great leaders, who somehow made it to two simchas in the same days in different states. How did they do it? Because they know how to occupy themselves with the right things. They know how to occupy their time with the right things. They know not to be preoccupied with Facebook statuses and posts when there's real life of real posts. Real people who need help really right in front of you. Devote your time. Devote your attention to the right thing. You take your kid out. Don't look at the, the cyber messaging. You could always do that later. Devote yourself to him. Make sure to have that time every day to spend with your spouse, especially after the kids are sleeping, whether it be a game or a show or or whether you're reading together. Finding that time in one another, you could always find time for your own selfish, quote-unquote, endeavors and pursuits and interests when it's not taking away from the kids and the family. And make sure device-free is really the way to go. If we could all try to take a little bit from this, take our preoccupation into singular occupation, singular mindset, singular focus, no more multitasking or switching tasks, understand what's really important in life in our days, we really could make the world a better place. The really, the light of the world could be better. We could bring much more Ahavat Chinam, which of course is something we need more of to rebuild the base of English as we come to the three weeks in just a couple of weeks, a couple of days. We could bring more Ahavat Chinam to the world. We could do much more good in the world every single day. Join us next time as we talk Tani Talks Radio, where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep here on Tani Talks Radio. And I'm your host, Tani. <laughs>